worship together, church. Sing of our King who saved us from the grave. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my too. Till I met you.
Amen. It is good to be here. Yes, you may be seated. Thank you so much for coming and worshiping here with us today. Uh, if we have not had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Rob Zimmerman. I'm the lead pastor here at Westgate. I'm just delighted that you have chosen to come and to worship with us today. We have got uh, such a great and incredible morning uh, of worship that is planned as we celebrate our risen Savior. And uh, I especially want to welcome you this morning. If you are a first-time guest, uh, if you're first time here with us, thank you so much again for coming and worshiping. Uh, can I just encourage you, we love nothing more than when people come to be able to make take that easy step of getting connected uh, into the life of our church and learning a little more about who we are. And uh, one of the easiest ways to do that is to download our app. Uh, if you were to go to your app store, Westgate, you can search Westgate Chapel Toledo, download that, and it's one of the easiest ways to begin to learn about us, the various different ministries that we have, things that are going on around the church. We would love for you uh, to do that, but also we would love for you to take a moment this morning as well and fill out a connection card. Uh, you can find the connection card in the pew in front of you. Again, it's a great first step to getting connected. And at the close of our service this morning, I'll actually ask you to hold on to it. And you can take it out to our guest center, either here in the uh, main entrance or we have one over in the atrium this morning as well. Uh, we have a small bag we would love to give you that just has some, a little bit of information about the church, but also a gift to say thank you for worshiping with us today. So please be sure uh, to stop by uh, and do that. Uh, there's one thing that we wanted to make you aware about, uh, especially uh, that is coming up. If you are new here to Westgate, whether that's today or in the past few weeks or months, uh, we're going to be having what we call a new people party that is coming up in just a few weeks from now on Sunday, April 23rd. Uh, after the second service that morning, we'll meet in our refinery, which is just across uh, the atrium, and our pastoral staff will be there, and we would love the chance just to get to know you a little bit better, share a little bit about the church, uh, and then uh, have a time of lunch together. And so if you would like to join us, I would encourage you to put that on your calendar. You can register for it going through our app. You can go to our website and do that at the event tab, or uh, you can also just show up. If you don't register, we still invite you to come, but please be sure to check that out. It's a great opportunity to get to know one another. Now, before we continue worship this morning, I have just one more thing uh, for our services today. If you have got young ones, we are so glad that they are with you. They are welcome to be in our service, but if at some point you think to yourself, I would like to let them wiggle and yet still participate, we have two spaces available for you, one in our chapel uh, and one in our refinery where our service is live streamed. Uh, but you can, so you can continue to watch the service, but also let the kids kind of wiggle. Do not feel the pressure that you need to go and do that. It is just available for you this morning. With that being said, uh, we want to continue in our worship. But before we do, I would like to invite you to stand on up, look around the room, find somebody that you do not know, and welcome them to the service this morning. <clears throat> Thank you. 
Come on. All right. As much as we love talking to each other and seeing people maybe we haven't seen in a while, I want us to continue to worship together. Man, I love it. I, lo I love it. Um, I'm going to read out of Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And what a privilege it is to get to be gathered together. Amen. And can I just do something? If, if you are a believer, if you are, if you believe in Jesus Christ, that he is who he said he, who he said he is, can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Man, that right there should, should encourage each and every one of us. And, and I know maybe there are some of you here today who you don't come to church very often. Maybe it's just once or twice a year. And maybe you came, okay, I'm just, this is my tradition. And that's why you go to church on Easter Sunday. I'm here to tell you that God has something very special planned for you today. That I hope and pray breaks down the tradition aspect of it. It breaks down walls. That God truly speaks to you today. That you allow him to speak to you because I promise you he wants to. More than anything, God wants to teach you something today. God wants you to walk away knowing him. He wants you to walk away wanting to have a relationship with him because I promise you that's what he wants for each and every one of us. Can I get an amen there too? Amen. And I'm just going to pray for us real quick. Can everybody bow your heads and close your eyes? God, I pray for each and every person here, Lord. I know there are so many of us here that are that are excited to be here on Easter Sunday, God, as we celebrate our risen Savior. God, I know there are also people here, maybe they're out of obligation. Maybe they're here and they're hurting. I pray you would touch their hearts. God in a way only you can it's God only you defeated the grave if we think of our lives who we were before we knew you Lord and we give you praise for raising us up with you God raised to life with Christ
thank you, Jesus, that you are alive. We serve a risen Savior who is moving and working all around us all the time. Lord, give us eyes to see all the ways that you are faithful. Every single day, Lord, you show up in our lives. I just pray we don't miss it. Lord, I thank you that you are uh, writing each of our stories, Lord, and, and you are the one who redeems all things, so you make everything in us new. And so, Father, I would just pray that you would do what you do this morning, that you, through the work of your Holy Spirit, would just breathe new life into this space, Father, into our lives, into our hearts and minds. Give us ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. In your powerful name we pray, amen. So before Rob comes and speaks this morning, we're gonna go ahead and continue our worship through the giving of our offering. So I wanna thank our, our family, our church family here and our regular attenders um, as you go ahead and give this morning. But if you're a visitor, please just let that um, bucket pass you right by and um, we will just continue on in our worship. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. He is risen. It is a great morning. And uh, would you do me a favor? Would you thank our worship team for leading us in worship this morning? And uh, at the close of the service, our string section, man, ooh, Friday. Friday, uh, when we had our service, man, I was like, Cheryl, that was amazing, but so great this morning, just leading us into worship and giving, uh, giving the excellence to the gifts that God has given them to lead us in worship today. Just super, super grateful. Again, I want to welcome you. If you are, uh, again, a guest here at Westgate, thank you so much for choosing to worship with us today. Uh, again, I'll mention, if you are looking for a church home, if you don't already have one, we would love for you to come and check out uh, Westgate Chapel. We have an incredible church family uh, that is here and so many different ways to get connected and involved. And uh, next Sunday, we're going to be diving into a new series uh, as we begin to move into the summer months together, and uh, the series is entitled, Who Do You Say I Am? And uh, we're going to be asking or answering one of, I believe, the most important questions that all of us in this life need to answer. Who do we believe that Jesus is? And so to do that, we're going to be going through the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark together, uh, taking a look at who Jesus is. And uh, I would be excited for you to come worship with us and dig into the scriptures over the next uh, many weeks. So uh, please, my personal invitation, would love for you to come back uh, and join us as we uh, dive into that series together. We've been going through a series uh, leading up to Easter uh, entitled Last Words. And what we have been doing is taking a look at the last words of Jesus from the cross. And when we began the series, we talked about the fact that uh, we, I shared numerous different examples of last words of famous people in our culture that when they uh, were nearing their death, what their words were. And we talked about the fact that those words often hold a lot of meaning to help us to understand what 
was most important to those individuals in life and even in their death. And I want to ask you this question this morning, and in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to turn to somebody that you came with this morning and just share the answer to this question. If you could prepare your last words, in other words, you knew that your time was coming to leave this earth and you could prepare those last words, what would you want most to be remembered for? What would those words be? What would you want to be remembered for? Turn, share that with somebody. You got about 20, 30 seconds. Go. It's, uh, it's kind of an interesting thought, isn't it? Think about when you're going to die and what would you want to be remembered for? What would, you, what would you say maybe with those last words? You know, it's one thing to be able to think about what you would want to say, what you would want to be remembered for, to be able to maybe put it in eloquent terms in such a way that you want to try to leave a legacy for people that come behind you or not. Uh, but... It's another thing to speak in the moment, the very moment without preparation as you near death. And as we've gone through this series together, this is the position and situation that Jesus himself finds himself in. Having been wrongly accused and done no wrong, Jesus has been taken and nailed to a cross to die the death of a sinner, to die the death of one of the most horrible people in the world. That's the way they died, by crucifixion. And Jesus, as he is suffering on this cross, speaks his last words. And as we've said throughout this series, a person's last words tell us something about who they are and what was most important to them. And as we've studied these phrases that Jesus spoke in his last moments on this earth, we find that we come to a real true understanding of who he was and what he was about. To give you just a quick recap of where we've been, you can follow along with me in your sermon notes on the first page that is there. Hopefully you grabbed them as you walked in this morning. But in week one, we looked at the fact that when Jesus was there on the cross, suffering the death of a criminal, being mocked and scorned by the population, the first words that he speaks are what? Father, forgive them. That's powerful when you think about it, that here this innocent man who has been put on a tree with all of these people below him and watching that are mocking and scoffing, even spitting at him, and the first words that he would speak would not be ones of contempt, but Father, forgive them. And as we went through this together, we talked about two really important things. The first thing is this, is that what we learn is that God, a lot about God's grace and his forgiveness and his offer, we need uh, that there is an offer to receive Christ's forgiveness. That Christ extends his forgiveness to us in the same way that he did to the people as he hung on the cross. But even more importantly, because of the grace and the love that Jesus showed towards us, that as well, secondly, and just as important, is that we would be a model to follow 
in how, or that Jesus is a model for us to follow and how we also would forgive other people. So we ex- receive Christ's forgiveness, but he also serves as a model for us in how we should love and forgive others who have wronged us. In week number two, we talked about Jesus' next phrase from the cross, which was, now today you will be with me in paradise. You remember that Jesus was hung between two thieves, two criminals, And as he hung there, each of them kind of had a different response to Jesus. One who would mock him, just like everybody else who was excited about Jesus' death. And another man who would call out to him for salvation. And the truth is, is that both of those thieves that hung next to Jesus were looking for salvation. One of them, though, as he mocked Jesus, mockingly he says, look, if you can save yourself, why don't you get us down off this cross? In other words, what was he looking for? He was looking for a salvation that in some sense would allow him to go back to the life that he had always been living. And yet the thief that is on the other side calls out for salvation as well, but he scorns the other thief and says, look, this man, Jesus, he's innocent. He's done nothing wrong. We deserve this. And then his response to Jesus is, Jesus, when you enter into your kingdom, will you remember me? And he asked not for salvation to go back to the way he was living, but eternal life and eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. What we learned is that there are two responses that we often will have when it comes to the person of Jesus. Either an ask for a salvation in the here and now. Jesus, just help me get back to the life that I want to live because it's being interrupted. Or a salvation that lasts forever. Jesus, will you save me? In week number three, Pastor Steve shared with us a message on Jesus' words when he says, why have you forsaken me? And as Jesus is on the cross, he cries these words out to God, his Father in heaven, as he feels the complete aloneness with the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders, going to his death, feeling incredibly lonely. And what we talked about that week is that this is the exact feeling that we ourselves would have were it not for Christ's death on the cross. The feeling of being far from God would be our eternal reality if not for Christ's death on the cross. Lastly, week four, last week we took a look at kind of the shortest phrase where Jesus utters these words, I thirst. And Pastor Adam shared with us these two points that came from this passage, which is this. One, what we see when Jesus speaks these words is a physical thirst that he has that shows Christ's humanity. His ability to relate to who we are as individuals in this world. That he understands to a very great and deep degree exactly what we ourselves have gone through. But even more, there is a spiritual thirst as well that we see. And it shows Christ's thirst for you. That he would be willing to go to the cross and give his very life in order to redeem and to restore your very life. And it begs us, what will our response be to what Jesus has done for us on the cross? Will we in return thirst for him? And this leads us to the final statements of Jesus from the cross this morning. Two of them that we are going to take a look at together. If you have your Bibles, you can look with me. It'll be up here on the screen as well. But John chapter 19, verse 30. As Jesus is hanging on the cross and he is nearing the time where he is going to die, he utters these words. It says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, 
it is finished. Now think about this with me for a minute. What did Jesus mean when he said, it is finished? I think there's a lot of things that can go through our minds, and many of us might think that that we've got a corner on the market on what Jesus meant. Because the truth is, is that there are many different occasions where we ourselves might utter these words and have a specific meaning that goes along with it. The first way that we often use a phrase like this is this. You can fill this. We use it as a sigh of relief when a difficult task is completed. I want you to think about that. Maybe when you complete a huge uh, test at school or some massive project, you might say, oh, goodness, finally, it is finished. Or maybe you completed a time-consuming project at work or a project around the house that you've been working on. I know uh, a few years ago before COVID, uh, one of the projects we were doing at our house is that we had some people come and finish our basement, and I decided, never will decide this again, that I was going to do the flooring myself, right? It's going to teach myself something new as a pastor, put that luxury vinyl flooring in, pretty, pretty large size basement. So I, I got into it. You'll see in this first picture uh, kind of where we started, had a few friends come, but we spent three or four days just in grueling long hours, snapping this floor together, uh, cutting myself, bleeding all over the floor. Like it was grueling work. And as the pictures kind of scroll through, you'll begin to see the progress that was made. It was hard work. And one of the things I had some friends tell me, by the way, if anybody's ever laid floor, they're like, you need to make sure that you get like these knee guards and pads that you can wear as you're on your knees on the ground doing this, or you're going to wreck yourself, right? And I'm here to tell you, I went and got those, and my friend lied to me. Those things do not work, okay? (laughs) If you've ever done this, you know, your knees still hurt just as much after wearing those things, right? But You know, as we went through, we had to kind of come around this one wall and make sure that it all lined up uh, perfectly on the other side. And I can remember as you look at this last picture, when it was finally done and completed, sitting down against the wall, (sighs) it's finished, right? It's done. And I promise you, I will never do that again, right? It was a lot of hard work. I endured the pain and toil and it was finished. Some people interpret Jesus' words from the cross in this way. When he says, it is finished. Because the crucifixion was meant to strip you of humanity, your self-worth, and completely break you until you would eventually die a horrific death of suffocation. And it seems as we look at Jesus, this would make complete sense. If we were in those shoes, we would say the exact same thing. Having endured all of the the persecution, the flogging, being nailed to a cross, being insulted, and the moment of death has come, we just might utter the words, finally, it is finished. But you know something, there's another way that you might think about it as well. Secondly, in your notes, you'll see that some people might use this phrase as a cry of defeat at the completion of a battle. Uh, last year, my son's baseball team won a state championship for a high school here in Sylvania, and it was exciting to, to go, to be at these games, to see people that were just like, it was wild. People were just going nuts, celebrating this incredible achievement. But I can remember as I was watching, not only was I enjoying that moment, but there were moments where I looked out and I watched the players from the other teams as they went down to defeat. And I can remember watching just the tears that were rolling off of their faces, but I'll never forget this one young man in particular who had his head buried into his mom's shoulder and was just crying. And he kept saying, it's done, 
it's done, it's over. And just, not just the having reached the pinnacle and the top and not quite getting there and not being able to be victorious, but he was also a senior in high school that was recognizing that this was the last time that he would ever get to play with this group of people and experience this moment. You see, sometimes when we use a phrase like this, it is finished, it can also be a cry of defeat. And some people might venture to say that that's what Jesus' cry was, a cry of defeat. He had come with a purpose. And he came into this world and he opposed the religious leaders because what he was seeking to do was to set the record straight about what it meant to worship and to honor God. And so as he opposed them, and he tried to set the record straight. He was seeking to fix what had been hor horribly twisted by the religious leaders about who God was and how people would worship him. He healed the masses. He inspired many people to follow him. And yet, through the betrayal of one of his followers with the religious leaders who had been scheming from the time he came on the scene for a way to put him out through illegal trials and the ignorance of Rome, here was Jesus, the king of the Jews, hanging on a cross, waiting to die. And it would be easy to envision Jesus' words as a cry of defeat. He came to accomplish something great, and it seems on face value that he was unsuccessful. However, what we have to realize is that the words in your notes, Jesus speaks in the Greek language here of it is finished, carries a much deeper meaning than just the completion of something. The actual Greek word that is used here is tetelestai. Tetelestai it means directly just this one word, it is finished. But this word has a verbal root, it's a verb, and the verbal root is teleo, and it means this, it denotes the carrying out of a task. In other words, it's not just completion, but it's the completion of an important task or a calling that someone has. And for us to understand the depth of meaning behind these words that Jesus speaks, it's important for us to see how this word is used by the gospel writers and by Jesus in other places in scripture. If you were to read John chapter 13, verse 1, which will be up here on the screen for you, you would see that uh, the gospel writer John says it this way. He says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, pause there, Jesus knew that it was time for him to depart. What does that tell you? Jesus knew that he had a mission, that he had a purpose that he had a goal in this life that he was aiming for. And he knew that the time was coming for him to depart and to go back to the Father. He had a mission. He had a goal. And it says, having loved his own who were in the world, the disciples, those whom God had given to him, he loved them. It says, he loved them to the end. The words there, to the end, are the Greek word teleo. Tetelestai. And I want you to understand this, is that when he says he loved them to the end, telos, what he's saying is this, is to the full extent mandated by his mission, that he loved his disciples to the end, to the fullest extent of the mission that God had given him.
As well, if we were to fast forward just a couple of chapters into John chapter 17, verse 4, we would see in Jesus' high priestly prayer, before he is going to go to the crucifixion, he says these words in his prayer to the Father. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. When we read the words there, having accomplished, again, it is the same Greek word, tetelestai. And he says that you gave me work that I have accomplished. It means that he has completed his calling, that he has done exactly what the Father has called him to do. What is the importance of this? What is the depth of the meaning that resides in these small words? Is that Jesus' last words were not a sigh of relief. They were not a cry of defeat, but a victorious proclamation. Jesus himself had completed the very thing that God had called him to do. You see, Jesus' whole purpose was to come and to die. To be the perfect sacrifice for the sin of the world. If you were to read in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, you would see that John says this. He says, this is love. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Not that we loved God. In order to understand the incredible victory that Jesus claimed on the cross, what we must do is understand the purpose for his coming. The Bible tells us that when God created humanity, he created us in a perfect relationship with him. The world that Adam and Eve lived in was a world that had no pain, no suffering, no evil, no hatred, no fear, no anxiety, no worry of the loss of life. It was a perfect existence with God providing every single thing that they could possibly need and or want. It was a perfect relationship with God. And God would continue to provide everything that Adam and Eve could ever want. They gave them, he gave them control over the very Garden of Eden that they lived in, except for one thing. He asked them to not eat from one tree that sat in the middle of that garden. Everything else they would have dominion over, but they could not eat from this one tree. And as you know the story, apparently, like for many of us, when somebody tells us that we can't do something, the temptation is a little bit great. And Adam and Eve, as Satan comes and he tricks them and he tells them, hey, look, you certainly can eat from that tree. God's just holding out on you. He doesn't want you to know that you will be just like him. You'll be the king of your own kingdom, of your own castle. You can make your own way. You can have better than what God offers to you. And what did Adam and Eve do? They choose to believe the lie and allow their hearts to be drawn in by this desire to seek fulfillment outside of God's plan. And as they took the bite of the apple... What we read in scripture is this, is that ultimately eating the fruit of this one tree would usher sin into the world. And when sin came into the world, death came with it. A punishment, a curse that was put on mankind and the world itself. That from that point forward, every human being that would ever walk the earth would experience physical death. The world itself in its perfect state would be put into a state of decay and of dying. 
But not only was the curse that was placed on mankind and on the world physical death, but it was also a spiritual death where mankind would pay the ultimate price for the rebellion against the God who created them. They wouldn't just die physically, but be eternally separated from God and from that provision, providing relationship that he had offered to them. Ultimately, the Bible telling us that in our own rejection of God, that they would find themselves separated from God for eternity in a place that is called hell, a place reserved for punishment for those who choose to reject God. Even more, the choice to reject God continued from that day throughout history even to today, where we still try to find our hope, our satisfaction, our security, our fulfillment, and our purpose in life on our own, outside of God, toiling in a world that constantly fails us, where it seems like we grab something that makes us happy and fulfilled and then the next moment it is gone or something takes it away or something ruins it. And we go through this toil in life almost ignorantly believing that somehow one day we'll find that magic thing that keeps that fulfillment and happiness, but it is like sand that is just running through our fingers. But what I want you to see this morning is this, is that the beauty of scripture is exactly what John said in 1 John 4. This is love. Not that we loved God because we rejected him. We rebel against him. We act as though he's not important and we can do better on our own. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. In other words, where God should have in the moment of our rebellion said, I am done with you, he began a plan that you can read about through the pages of scripture from the beginning of the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, that God has been pursuing us as his creation because of the depth of his love for us to provide a way to pay the price for our sin against a holy God so that we could be restored to that right relationship with him. And that salvation story runs to the cross of Jesus Christ, where Jesus shows us the depth of God's love, that where we deserve death, he took our place, that if we would place our faith and our trust in him, that we could be restored to that right relationship with him for eternity. It is the beauty of the gospel message. When Jesus utters the words, it is finished, he is telling us, I have finished the calling and the purpose of my life. It is not a cry of defeat. It is not a sigh of relief. It is a victorious proclamation that he has accomplished what no one else could. And that if we put our faith in him, we can have that right relationship with God. But even more important are what I would call Jesus's last, last words, final. And we read those in Luke chapter 23, verse 46. As Jesus has uttered, it is finished, his final words are this. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, if you were to go with a group of Christians, maybe to a home, home group or to a church Bible study, 
and you were to listen to this group of Christians begin to pray out loud, oftentimes we will address God in a certain way. Can anybody here tell me this morning, how is it that we typically in prayer address God? What do we call him? Father, right? We either call him Father or we call him Heavenly Father. It's the most common expression that Christians use to address God. But next point in your notes, it would have actually been highly unusual for a Jew of Jesus' day to address God as Father. There was a uh, German New Testament scholar by the name of Jehoiakim Jeremiah who uh, did a research on the prayers of the ancient Israelites. He scoured through all of the Old Testament passages, through the Talmud, through the Targums. He literally went through all of it looking for any example of this that he could possibly find. And here's what he found. He came to the conclusion that there isn't even one example anywhere where the Jewish people addressed God directly as Father. It simply wasn't done. Yet what we read in the New Testament is that Jesus regularly prayed to God his Father. And he even taught his disciples to do so when he said to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. This was an incredibly, incredibly radical innovation of that day, something that would have been completely unheard of. Why? Because what Jesus was doing when he cried out from the cross and any time that he addressed God in heaven in prayer saying, Father, what he was doing was helping us to see the depth of intimacy that existed in that relationship. In other words, in your notes, addressing God as Abba or Father showed a deep level of intimacy that existed there. And the importance of that is that it shows us the depth of intimacy that God desires to have with every single one of us. I can remember uh, years ago when we moved to uh, Toledo that my family, we had some family in town and we traveled up to Ann Arbor with that family to kind of go around, have a, have a meal, look in some different shops, buy some things. And then when we were uh, preparing to leave and everybody was going back to the parking garage where the car was, we had kind of rounded this corner and started to move into the parking garage and all of a sudden, I had this moment of panic where I began to realize that my son, who was quite young and small at the time, was not with us. And as I looked around, I'm like, oh my goodness, where did he go? And kind of, you know, panic starts to ensue, and so you kind of run out of the garage, and I'm looking around, and I start to retrace my steps, and I go running around the site, you know, thinking, here I am in Ann Arbor, just came to this new church, and I've lost my son, right? And there as I round the corner, there he is. I think he had found like a little old lady on the street or something that he was talking to that was going to try to help him find his dad. And I can remember that when his eyes caught mine, he began to run and move toward me and yell out, Daddy. And as he came and he put his arms around me and the tears were running down his face, he kept saying that phrase over and over, Daddy. Why? Why would he say those words? Because he understood that his father was a place of safety and security. He understood that his father was one that wants the best for him, is the one that looks out for him, even though he loses him in Ann Arbor. <laughs> but the cry of a child to their father, I want you to think about it. When a child cries out to their father, it's because they are supposed to be one of the people in which there is an intimate relationship of trust and of dependence. The father is the one who will keep you safe from harm. The Father is the one who will love you more than any other. The Father is the one who wants to provide the best for you. And as Jesus cries out from the cross, we see this incredible display that at the darkest moment of his life, 
beaten and crucified by the people that he created, hanging on a cross, carrying the weight of the sin of the world, we see an incredible display of the knowledge that he could trust his father in heaven with his very life. And so Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. These next words, into your hands I commit my spirit, even more, these last words of Jesus are a direct quote of Psalm 31, verse 5. And it was the ultimate display of the surrender to God and to his promises. I'll read this passage for you. It'll be here on the screen, but this Psalm of David, again, is a direct, Jesus directly quotes the end of it. It says here, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net that they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. You see, this psalm of David was a hymn of trust in the midst of deep sorrow, persecution, and death. Things over which no one in this world has control over, but that always leave us with a choice. When faced with moments like this, will we toil and worry and fear and anxiety over things that we can't control, or we choose to trust in the only one who can save us, our Father in heaven, God? King David showed an unwavering trust in God throughout his entire life, knowing that God was good. And even in his life, if his life were to be taken, God, he knew, would redeem him and raise him up. And thus, these are the very last words that Jesus himself utters from the cross. Father, I trust you, and I trust my entire life with you. I give you my spirit. And so what do Jesus' final words from the cross teach us? That surrender leads to life. That surrender leads to life. That Jesus, as he hung on that cross, knew so much that he could trust God because as he surrendered all of who he was to the Father, he knew that only days from then he would be raised again to life. And we read in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 6, three days later, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, There was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. But he is not here, for he has risen, just as he said he would, because he knew that his calling and his mission was to come and to die so that he could purchase through his death the ability for us to be restored in a right relationship with God. And he knew that he would be raised to life And so when he speaks these words from the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, 
He speaks words of surrender that he knows will lead to ultimate life and not just life in the here and now, but eternal life. And what I hope you see in the scriptures this morning as we look at these final words of Jesus is that this rings true for us today as well. Surrender leads to life. Are you tired of toiling in this world and in this life, trying to find hope and trying to find fulfillment in things that can never last and things that will always fail you? I mean, have you experienced this? If you haven't, can I encourage you to turn on the news when you get home today? Spend some time watching CNN or Fox News, whichever, you know, whatever your pudding is. Turn on the internet, start reading. What we see is a world that is in chaos and people that will do anything at their disposal to try to grab onto something that will bring them the fulfillment they desire, but they can never achieve it. And we find ourselves in that same position. And yet what Jesus does from the cross is send a message to us that all of mankind for all of eternity has been trying to do this. And he's asking, will you come to your senses and realize that I am offering you what you had in the first place, a right relationship with God Will he will provide everything you have ever longed for, where all fear, all hurt, all evil, all pain, all death, everything will be wiped away. And you will experience eternal life with God forever. And he looks at us this morning And he asks us this question, will you surrender your heart to Jesus so that you can find true life? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the words that your son spoke from the cross. I thank you because as we read them, they help us to understand the depth of not only who he was, but who you are that you are a God that from the very beginning of time has been pursuing us, your rebellious creation, and where you should have rejected us and done away with us, not even giving us a chance, your word makes abundantly clear that you have been spending centuries developing and carrying out your plan of salvation for the world. And that you love us so much would send your son into this world to die an innocent man at the hands of his very creation so that we could know you, so that we could be restored to you, so that we could find the very thing that we had in the beginning, which is a perfect and right and fulfilled and hopeful relationship with you. And Father, we clamor to find it in this world, and this world leaves us empty. And so this morning, awaken our spirits to understand and know that what we long for and desire can only be found in you. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I would ask you this morning, maybe as you have listened to this word this morning, as you think about this world and how it fails us and the pain and the toil that we go through and you understand the story of the gospel from the beginning to the very end. Maybe God is speaking to you this morning. You've never placed your faith and trust in him as your Lord and Savior, but you would say, I want what Jesus offers. I want peace in this life. I want to know that I, when this life is over, like that thief on the cross, will find myself 
with God in his kingdom, experiencing the perfection that he had had for me all along. If that's your desire this morning, I simply tell you, as Jesus sent from the cross, the surrender of our hearts and our lives to him lead to that life. If you would like to make that choice to follow Jesus this morning and know without a shadow of a doubt that you are his, I would simply invite you to pray a very simple prayer with me. Pray, pray it in your heart. You don't need to say it out loud. And there's nothing magical about this prayer. It is simply a prayer of commitment from our hearts to God. Pray these words, Lord Jesus, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I confess to you that I have failed you in many ways. But thank you, God, for sending your son Jesus into this world to rescue me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And I choose today to surrender my heart to you and to follow you. And I thank you, Lord, that your word tells me that not only do you wash away all of my sin, but I can know without a shadow of a doubt today that I am your child and I will be with you forever. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I want you to have full assurance and full confidence that that commitment of your heart to the Lord has brought salvation to you today through Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. But I also recognize that there are others in this room this morning who've been walking with God for a very long time. And as we have walked this journey with the Lord, we often find ourselves re-engaging in the toil of the world, not surrendering our hearts and our lives to the Lord, but trying to kind of have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And so we pursue lots of things, sin, material goods, and we kind of push Jesus to the side. And Jesus called from you to, for you today from the cross as well is a reminder that the call to surrender is not a one-time call. It is a daily call to surrender all of you, all of who you are to the, to the Father. And so I would simply ask you today, if you find yourself in that place where you've been wrestling with sin, where you've set God to the side, your desire is to re-engage and to surrender your heart and your life to him daily, I would just simply ask you to recommit yourself this morning to him and to profess that your desire is to begin a new journey with him today. Just pray simply to the Lord, Father, thank you that you have already saved me. But I confess to you that I have not placed you first in my life. And today I commit to begin a new journey with you. I surrender my heart to you. And I pray that you would begin a new work in me, free me from sin, help me to find my greatest joy in you and not in the things of this world. And use my life, Father, to glorify your son in this world. Lord, I just pray over those who may have prayed these prayers this morning. For those who have prayed the first time that they would find an incredible new life with you. That, Lord, you would continue to grow them in their faith and their trust in you. And that you would bring people around them in that process. 
And I pray as well for those who are recommitting their own hearts and their lives to you today, Lord, that you would begin a new and a fresh work in them, that your Holy Spirit would meet them in a very sweet way this morning. And that as they begin to move forward from this day, that it wouldn't just be a decision in a room that is left there, but that it begins truly a new journey of walking and surrendering to you. You know, as we go to this final song of worship together this morning, I want to give an opportunity for you to physically respond and cement that decision today. You'll see up here on this cross a whole bunch of white ribbons that were placed there during our first service. And what we're asking this morning is that if you made a decision this morning to put your faith in Jesus for the very first time, I would love for you during this song to come forward to one of these black tables here and to take a Sharpie and one of those ribbons, write your name on it, then flip it over on the back and write first time decision. We've got some tape. And during this song, would love for you to tape that decision up there on the cross. But as well, if you've been a Christian, but you know that today is the day that God wants you to begin that new journey of surrender with him. And you want to put your stake in the ground and say, today, Jesus, I acknowledge that. We invite you as well to come and to do the same, to write your name on a ribbon and to affix it to the cross and to give all of your heart and all of your worship to him this morning. And so I invite you to come as we sing this final song of worship to our Savior. Till from heaven you came running, there was mercy. 
Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your risen Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the new life that is ours through him. Father, I just pray that in all that we have done here this morning, that you would be glorified in each of our lives. Use us this week, Father, as we go out into this world to continue to share the good news of your Son, that you would receive glory and many would come to a saving knowledge of him. We give you thanks. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Church family, thank you again for worshiping with us today. As you leave uh, in the atrium, we have lots of food and donuts and drinks still. Please stop by a photo booth uh, to take a picture. Do that. And with that being said, have a fantastic Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.